Today's guest is an author, keynoter, publisher, and advisor. He's the executive director of Reconomics Institute. His goal is to boost revitalization and resilience skills for leaders of cities, regions, non-profits, and companies worldwide. Welcome to the show, Storm. How are you doing? Wonderful. Thanks for having me on your show, Toby. Thank you so much for joining me today on this episode of Mirror Talk. I'm really excited to speak with you. Um, but before we you know, talk about your wonderful works and everything that we would love to talk about in this um, episode, can you tell me a little bit more about yourself and your important work that you do for you know, revitalization and everything? I mostly, for the last 20 years, have been a speaker and a workshop leader. You know, I've been educating people about restoration and revitalization. And uh, I started Reconomics Institute uh, around the same time COVID started hitting, which was very good timing. Uh, because all of a sudden nobody was having conferences anymore. Mm. So uh, they didn't need me as a speaker. So uh, I put everything online at Reconomics.org so that people who are interested in restoring the planet for a living or who are interested in helping communities revitalize for a living can get certified as a revitalization and resilience facilitator and uh, they can do it either as a full-time job or as a way to enhance their current career. Wow, that's awesome. That's really good. So I was actually going to your website earlier and I was saying like there's some podcasts available, for example. And, you know, you also, you're also an author. You have three books that, you, that you've written, uh, which are also available, available on Amazon and other platforms where one could buy them to read. You have um, Reconomics, that's the pathway to resilience and um, prosperity Rewealth and the Restoration Economy. So can, can, can you tell me about these books and what um, readers are expected to learn from them? Well, the first book, The Restoration Economy, I started writing in 1996. And this is back in a time when most of these restoration uh, industries and trends were just getting started. Uh, some of them are old ones. I mean, we've been, obviously, humanity has been restoring old buildings, reusing old infrastructure for a long time. Mm -hmm. But it was in the 1990s that all of these things really started to explode and that entirely new disciplines like ecological restoration uh, were emerging and brownfields remediation, you know, cleaning up old contaminated industrial sites. You know, mm -hmm. those are brand new industries that didn't exist 50 years ago. And so the restoration economy broke it down into eight sectors, four that were restoring the natural environment and four that were restoring the, the built environment mm -hmm. and documented that you've got about $2 trillion a year of all this restorative activity happening. Then the second book, ReWealth, came out from McGraw-Hill in 2008. And you could kind of think of the first book as being the, the ingredients of revitalization all the different kinds of activities and projects that you can do that'll bring a place back to life. Whereas the second one was more about the recipe for revitalization. How do you put all those ingredients together mm -hmm. to get what people really want, which is higher quality of life and more jobs, more income, you know, growing economy. And then the new book, uh, Reconomics, that just came out last year, uh, is more about the process that leaders need to use in order to reliably produce revitalization and resilience. Uh, you know, in, in the old days, people would sometimes get revitalization and resilience, but it was often more a matter of luck. Mm. And so the new book is more about how to almost guarantee success. 
can you share some of the you know most inspiring or dramatic stories of places you know coming back to life you know being renewed yeah there are many of them uh the uh some of them you know like coral the restoration of coral reefs is what inspired me to get into this in the first place mm -hmm. when i actually saw that people were inventing technologies that were bringing coral reefs that had been totally destroyed back mm -hmm. to life in you know just a year or so when it had taken 10,000 years to the, for the coral reef to grow yeah. uh that that's when i started realizing that uh, we don't have to be satisfied with just sustaining the world, uh, with just reducing the amount of damage we do. That you know that's good, but even better is undoing the damage that's already been done. Mm. So that's um, when I uh, when I started getting in, involved in writing the books, and as a result of writing the books, I had to look around to, for more examples of revitalization and restoration happening. And once I started really looking for it, I realized we're surrounded by it. Everywhere we look, we're surrounded by regenerative agriculture, by restored watersheds, by reused and decontaminated industrial lands, by restored historic buildings and renewed infrastructure, mm -hmm. you know, war and natural disaster reconstruction, all of these things, you know, fishery restoration, which is huge because fisheries are about 10% of the entire world economy. So, you know, everywhere I looked, I, I saw this, but the most inspiring stories to me are really when I see human communities that were in really desperate condition where people didn't know how to work together, mm -hmm. uh, all of a sudden coming together, rich and poor, black and white, you know, it just everybody working together to revitalize the place they live in. And uh, the first example of that that I saw was Chattanooga, Tennessee which went from probably the most desperate city in the United States, one that was at death's door, uh, to becoming a, a model of revitalization. Wow, wow that's, that's so inspiring. That's so great. And, you know, what, what can I do as a person or what should I study if I want to, you know, help restore our planet for a living? What can I do as a person personally or what should I study? Well, it depends on whether you want to do it as a volunteer, uh, you know, stay with your current job or profession, but spend some of your time, spare time helping your community revitalize or helping restore natural resources, or whether you want to actually make that your profession. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to make it your profession, you can either focus on the, the tactics or the strategy. Mm -hmm. So you can be the the expert, the technical expert that knows how to do specific projects mm -hmm. like restoring an urban stream to health or, you know, restoring a historic building or decontaminating land. Those are what I consider tactics, mm -hmm. uh, the things that uh, the actual projects that you do, or you can focus more on the big picture stuff, how to put together an ongoing program for a community, a, a strategic process mm -hmm. that brings together all of those different tactics all of the natural and the built and the socioeconomic environment mm -hmm. and turns it into revitalization and resilience. So if you're going to do the latter, you know, the big picture strategic stuff, then the best place to start would be to get certified as a revitalization and resilience facilitator mm -hmm. at uh, reconomics.org. And uh, that's only, you know, the tuition's only $299. And uh, that, you can uh, uh, add that to a current profession or you can make that your whole new profession, in which case you'll be the person in the room who knows 
how to increase the success rate mm-hmm. of places uh, attempts to become more resilient or more revitalized yes that's that's awesome so i'm going to place the, the link um, to to your website in the show notes for this episode so anyone who's interested you know in taking a course or um, getting some knowledge about this could just click on the link or copy the link and get across to you to work with you in that regard. Yeah, if they go to stormcunningham.com, that's my public speaking site. And mm-hmm. that site has links to all my other books and organizations. A while back, I was having a discussion with a friend of mine and he was telling me about, you know, he was asking me, like, is there even hope, you know, for, for this for this planet? Like, why do we have to do the old revitalization? Why do we have to do the old sustainability, you know, um, practices that we're doing since the world is going to end or the, earth, the planet is going to be destroyed very soon? What are we doing it for? Yeah, there's a big difference between, uh, like I mentioned before, the sustainability and the restoration. Mm-hmm. If all you're doing is the sustainability stuff, which is reducing the new damage to the world, then you can get very depressed mm-hmm. uh, because we can't have a brighter future if all we're doing is damaging the planet at a slower rate, mm-hmm. you know, that's just delaying the inevitable, de- you know, collapse. Yeah, yeah. But if we're actually reversing, mm-hmm. if each year that goes by, the planet is actually healthier and more vibrant mm-hmm. than it was the year before, then obviously we have a brighter future ahead of us. Mm-hmm. So we have to get out of this old sustainable development mindset, mm-hmm. which has basically failed us for 40 years. Uh, because the world is in much worse shape now, especially climate-wise, than it was 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, we need to start uh, uh, undoing the damage of the past 300 years. And the good news is that you can make just as much money restoring the world as you are destroying it. <laughs> so you mean um, there's, there's hope and yeah, there's hope for us to restore the, the world or the planet hurts to, you know, to its former glory? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, because it, it can't be done by volunteers. You know, mm-hmm. corporations and individuals need to be earning their living restoring the world. And it's so, so attractive because you said it's um, profitable too. So that, that makes it attractive to the industries also. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, um, with this condition that we are in right now, you know, with the um, pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic, I, I would love to, you know, get a little bit of advice from you as an expert in economics um, what are the best ways to help a community economically recover from the COVID-19 calamities? Oh, the most important thing is they have to get out of this mode of just relying on individual projects. Mm-hmm. And they start to, they have to realize that revitalization is an ongoing process. It's not something you just do when you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. That uh, just like our bodies, our human bodies are constantly regenerating. The only way we can maintain health is by constantly replacing and revitalizing and regenerating all the cells in our body. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with communities. If a community isn't revitalizing, it's devitalizing. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as healthy stasis. So mm-hmm. uh, revitalization has to be ongoing. So the most important thing a community can do is to create an ongoing program and a process for revitalization. Mm. Because everybody who produces anything in the world, whether they're a farmer or a manufacturer, uh, they know that to produce something, you need a process. The trouble is that most communities that want to produce revitalization or resilience don't have a process. Mm. So the best thing if somebody could do who wants to help out would be to read Reconomics 
And that describes the, the process that a community needs to have in order to successfully revitalize. Yeah. Okay. So everyone should pick up a couple of economics and, you know, find out how to do this. How to, yeah. That's yeah. a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's, and it's, it's also that it's available um, on Amazon and other platforms where one could easily buy, buy it from. Yeah. Yes. So, so, you know, earlier we've made, talk, we were talking about, you know, sust, um, sustainability and we talked about, you know, um, revital, um, revitalizing the, the planet. Um, how can we do that? How can we, as an individual, as someone who is listening at home or on the way to work right now, what can an individual do personally to revitalize, um, re, to revitalize or sustain our climate conditions right now? Well, one of the most important things is to uh, tell the stories of places that are already doing it, mm. uh, to, to read about it, to, to you know, research this and look into places that are similar to where you live that have already done this. Mm. And uh, then tell that story, you know, tell how places like Chattanooga, Tennessee came from a point of being the most desperate city in the United States to being one of the most revitalized cities. You know, mm. look around for uh, places that are like yours that have gone through the revitalization process and become a storyteller. Mm. You know, uh, tell, tell uh, the stories that you see of people who are uh, restoring the planet for a living. Yes. But well, I did like some, you know, some daily practices I could do, maybe avoid using plastic plates or avoid doing this or avoid doing that in order to ensure that the oceans are no much, much um, no longer, you know, flooded with um, refuses or something. Or I did like some, you know, simple, simple things I could I could also do to contribute to this. I mean, you know, cutting down on waste and, you know, energy waste or product waste or plastic. And those are all good things and necessary. Mm-hmm. But they're not really restoration. All you're mm. really doing is slowing down the rate at which you're destroying the world. Mm. Um, you know, restoration is something different. Restoration would be going out into the ocean and collecting all the plastic that's already there mm. and turning that into pavement, for instance, which is what's happening now. Uh, so, you know, stopping uh, plastic from going into the ocean is, is absolutely necessary, mm. but it's not restoration. Uh, going into the ocean and taking out the plastic, that's mm. restoration. Mm. And what I understand now is that we need to carry out work of restoration also. It's very important. Uh, that's what I've just learned from there right now. Okay. So um, you, from your expertise also in, in economics to if, if I'm a community or I personally want to start a business, are there like some you know, um, economic growth strategies that you could give me or walk me through? Um, in order to have a successful um, business? Well, you know, a strategy, a strategy is something that people use the word a lot, but mm. a lot of people don't really understand what a strategy is. Mm. They get it confused with a plan or they get it confused with a vision. Mm. Um, you know, the strategy uh, is usually something very brief. It's mm. very simple because it has to guide your decision making. So it, it's not a plan. It's not a book. It's not something you have to pull off a bookshelf. Mm. Uh, it's usually just a few sentences, sometimes mm. just three words mm. um, that help you overcome these, the barriers to achieving what you want to achieve. Mm. And the most common strategy I've seen that succeeds in virtually any place on the planet is just three words, repurpose, renew, renew reconnect. Mm. And the reason those, 
that three-word strategy works almost everywhere, is that virtually every community is full of old assets, buildings, infrastructure, damaged properties, things like that, that are derelicts. You know, they're not productive or they're not beautiful. Uh, they need to be repurposed so that you know, find a viable new purpose for them. And then once you do that, you can raise the money you need to renew them. So repurposing has to come first. You know, how should we reuse this old property? Uh, you find the purpose, that way you can raise the money to renew it. And then the third aspect is reconnecting because most of our communities have been damaged by bad planning for a long time. They're disrupted by urban highways, they're disrupted by single-use zoning. They're disrupted by all kinds of barriers uh, that keep neighborhoods or keep ecosystems from being connected with each other. So mm. we need to reconnect all these places to really bring them back to life. So repurpose, renew, reconnect. That's a strategy that will revitalize almost any place. If you are a professional looking at the European startup scene, Germany is a place you cannot miss. Fortunately for you, there is StartupRad.eo, the authority on German startups. This English-only podcast brings you fresh interviews each week. Most likely, you have never heard or read anything on these startups before in English, but you will in the future. Be ahead of the curve and subscribe to StartupRad.eo podcast or check for the StartupRad.eo internet radio station. Check your Alexa for the StartupRad.eo skill as well. Yes, repurpose, renew, reconnect. That's awesome. That's great. Well, Elia, thanks for, for thanks for um, clarifying that earlier. But can you uh, you know tell me now the difference between a vision, a strategy, and a plan? Like you know, earlier you said a strategy is just like three four, three sentences, for example. And yeah. So a vision is a cohesive set of goals. So you find out, you describe all the things that you want. And then you describe them in a vision that kind of makes them all fit together. So that's your vision. That's what you want to achieve. And the vision will mostly be uh, composed of nouns and adjectives. You're describing things and the condition of things. Now, the strategy is mostly verbs. These are the actions you need to take in order to make that vision become reality. So a vision by itself can't achieve anything. It's nice, but it's just a daydream if you don't have a strategy. Mm -hmm. to make it happen. Now, a plan, interestingly enough, almost all communities have plans, but what I found is that plans often get in the way of revitalization. Mm -hmm. Now, planning itself is good, but plans are actually very dangerous because right. a, a plan is solidified thinking. You know, as soon as you've written the plan, it's dead. It's no longer changing. Mm -hmm. uh, every day that goes by, that plan is more obsolete. So, and the trouble is that too many citizens think that because they have a plan, they're going to revitalize. When in actual fact, the plan does nothing. It's just a document. Mm -hmm. And in most cases, most plans are never implemented. Uh, the t city leaders think to, seem to think that just having a plan is enough, that somehow a plan is the objective. And <laughs> so nothing happens. And then five or 10 years later, they update their plan. So cities are trapped in what I call perpetual planning syndrome, where they're always planning, but they never actually do anything. Mm. And how, how can one come out of this you know, syndrome? How can one you know, make plans that are you know, um, valid or important for the time? And how can one 
ensure that one you know implements this this plans or act on them um probably the best thing to do is forget about the plans just mm. don't don't write plans planning is good but okay. the plans are dangerous so just focus on process because process is what produces results plans don't pr produce results mm. plans are a result you know it's a document that results from uh, a bunch of planners being paid to write something yeah. uh, but it doesn't do anything a process uh, is what produces things. A process is what turns peanuts into peanut butter mm. and what, tur what turns iron into automobiles. Mm. So if you want to create revitalization and resilience, you have to have a process. And there, there are six steps to the process. You've got to have an ongoing program, a vision, a strategy. You've got to have policies mm. that support your vision and strategy. You've got to have partnerships to bring together your resources. And you've got to have projects that actually do things. And the secret sauce, the magic that makes this produce revitalization and resilience mm. is that each of those six things needs to be regenerative in nature. Why do you have to be regenerative in nature? Well, because everything, uh, health is based on regeneration. Resilience is based on regeneration. Revitalization is based on regeneration. Mm. You know, you're constantly having to renew the elements of your community or the elements of your body yeah. in order to have health and vibrance in order to overcome maladies and sickness and economic decline and all of that is dependent on regeneration. Yeah. Oh, okay. So that's why regeneration is very important. Like so in order to stay it's the, it's the essence. It's the essence of life. Mm. Yeah. The whole world is regenerating yeah. and the parts that aren't regenerating are the parts that are sick. Wow! Wow, I, I like that. Uh, that's one. That's one lesson. I'm, or one thing I'm taking from this from this episode actually: regeneration. Everything I do has to involve regeneration because it is, it is the essence of life. Yeah. 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 Oh, great. So, um, you know, also back to economics again, and you know, the whole um, pandemic or the way the situation of the of the planet is right now. Um, how can we, you know, grow our local economy in a way that benefits low-income minorities and also help to heal the past, you know, injustice that has, has happened or is still happening? Uh, well, the key element of the process for making sure that your economic growth is inclusive mm -hmm. of all the stakeholders and all the citizens um, is in the vision. Now, the public doesn't have to be involved in every aspect of the process. They don't have to be involved in the projects at the end. They don't have to be involved in the policies. Mm -hmm. The key is get all of your stakeholders, all of your people involved in creating that shared vision. Mm -hmm. And if they do that, the vision drives everything else. Mm -hmm. the, driven, the, the vision is what the strategy is implementing. The vision is what drives the policy changes. The mm. vision is what drives the partnerships that come together and the projects that come from the partnerships. Mm. So if you get everybody... Uh, into the vision, then everything else that follows after the vision will be inclusive. That's true. And can we truly heal from, you know, from the past injustice? Is it possible to truly heal from it? Um, yeah, well, everything that's involved in regenerating a place pretty much starts with RE. Um, so you've got things like restorative justice and reparations, mm -hmm. uh, you know, where for a community or a society to heal, Mm. Uh, number one, it has to uh, become honest mm. about what has happened in the past. Mm. Uh, if they don't have the courage to be honest 
about past injustices, mm -hmm. then they're probably never really going to fully heal. So yeah. it has to start with awareness first and then honesty to accept what they're now aware of. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then, you know, once that's done, you can start the process. Uh, sometimes reparations are needed, like here in this country. Uh, you know, many African-American farmers had their land stolen from them. Mm -hmm. So now in this new Biden administration uh, under the U.S. Department of Agriculture, there's a whole new program funded with billions of dollars to start returning those farmlands to the black farmers. Yeah. Yeah. And that'll help revitalize rural communities. Mm. Uh, so that's like a, yeah, a, a plant, you know, um, maybe compensate for what has been done in the past. Yeah. Yes. But, yeah. but the best thing to do is not just reparations by themselves, but mm. make reparations a part of an overall revitalization process. Mm. That way everybody benefits from it. Yes. But what, what could cause, you know, most of these community revitalization or resilience initiatives to fail? What causes that? Uh, most common uh, is the lack of a strategy, uh, mm. because the only purpose of a strategy is to see, uh, is to produce success. Mm. So if you don't have a strategy, your chances of succeeding are are very little, yeah. and uh, and that's the, that's the easiest uh, question to ask. You know, when somebody claims that they're going to produce revitalization or resilience, ask them what their strategy is. Mm. In most cases, what they'll tell you is, "Oh, I've got a plan." Yeah, yes. No, plan is not a strategy. They say, <laughs> oh, yeah, well, here's our vision. No, a vision is not a strategy. What's yeah. your strategy? <laughs> you know, earlier you said, you know, you talked about, you know, the strategy of you know, repurpose, renew, and reconnect. You talked about that earlier. But I did like some general ways of making strategies that are very effective. Like now I want to start something, I want to start an initiative, for example. How can I go about creating a, an effective um strategy for it well the first thing you have to do is make be really clear about what you're trying to achieve mm. so the vision has to come first right? and a vision isn't just a matter of gathering a bunch of people together so they can daydream about what a nice future community might look like mm. a vision needs to be based on data it needs to be based on research you need to really learn what's ailing your community what are the obstacles to achieving what you want to achieve uh, what caused these problems in the first place. Uh, so it's a learning process. So you need to really learn what's going on in your community before you can come up with an effective vision for what a better community in the future would, be, would look like. And then once you've got that, a strategy will become pretty obvious. So I have to get my, my, my visions clear, like know what, exactly what I want to do, what I want to achieve. Then, yeah, that way the strategy comes into play. Yes. So are there ways, you know, you're, you're, you are the executive director of the Economics Institute. Are there ways your institute helps to, you know, teach how to set clear visions or strategies or what, 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 do, you, what do you do and what does the institute offer? Well, that's the only thing we do. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. Uh, the only purpose of Economics Institute is to get people certified as revitalization and resilience facilitators. And that means that they know how to create a what we call the reconomics process, hmm. uh, the basic process that brings places back to life. If, if for example, um, I want to start like a business, for example, or in a community, you want to you know revitalize, um, revitalize the community, and we need money, we need funding, we need you know to create an industry or a, an organization to do this. 
how can we get you know st- and stakeholders to part- participate and um, to to take part in this and also how can we manage the whole you know st- stakeholders that is going to take part in the um, organization yeah well managing it uh means creating an ongoing program that's that's the very first part of this process before mm. you even create the vision you need to create an ongoing program uh, and that's usually housed in a local uh, foundation or nonprofit organization, uh, any institution that's trusted by the community. Mm. So once you've got that ongoing program, um, the goal, uh, if, if your community has no money to work with, you can't just dive into doing uh, projects. Mm. Um, you can still do the things that don't require money. Visioning doesn't require money. Creating a strategy doesn't require money. Mm-hmm. Updating your policies to support your strategy and your vision doesn't require money. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot you can do that doesn't require money. The, uh, the most important thing for attracting investors and money to your community is increasing people's confidence in its future. So when people lose confidence in a community, when they think that the 10 years from now, the community is going to be in worse shape than it is now, mm-hmm. then they're going to leave. They're going to find a better place to live. And the employers are going to leave and the investors are going to leave. Mm-hmm. But if you put together a revitalization program, an ongoing program with this complete process that I'm talking about, people will look at that and say, wow, you know, they've got this in place. Uh, you know, this place is almost guaranteed to be better next year than it is this year and yeah. better five years from now than it is then, you know, they're, they're going to start uh, because you've got an ongoing program, you're going to have a constant flow of improvements. Mm. And the more they see things that have been successfully accomplished, oh, you've got a vision now, you've got a strategy. Mm. Well, you've done this really nice project to renovate the public park. You've done this, you've done that. And they see this flow of regenerative work happening, they're going to gain confidence in the future of the community, which mm-hmm. means that people are going to be attracted to living there. Investors are going to be attracted to investing there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, employers are going to be attracted to putting their companies there. Yeah. So that's the key. That's the most important single outcome is increasing confidence in the future of a place. Yes, yes, increasing confidence. So for, for someone out there, for example, at least as a closing remark, who is giving up on life or giving up on the on future? Um, what are some good reasons to be optimistic about the future, about the future of oneself, about the future of this planet, about the future of, one, of the economy or the climate? Well, uh, you can look at the numbers. So the fact is that you know, there's between two and three trillion dollars worth of restorative development happening all over the planet right now. Mm. So uh, the trouble is that nobody's really measuring it properly the governments are still using accounting methods from a century ago where all they're really measuring is new development, you know, sprawl uh, and resource extraction, or they're measuring maintenance and conservation. Mm. So those are just the first two parts of the life cycle. The last part of the life cycle, all that stuff that starts with RE, Mm. redevelopment, revitalization, regeneration, remediation, reuse, all that stuff is not measured. You don't see government reports on the restoration and revitalization that's happened. So it's hard for people to be optimistic when all they see is the bad news about sprawl and extraction mm-hmm. and the cost of maintenance, and they're not seeing all the growth in restoration. So the best way to overcome that is get involved in it yourself. Yeah. Oh, and that way, 
once you are once you're active in a community that is you know regenerating the the, um, the environment or um, revitalizing the the planet, then you become optimistic about the future yourself. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's it's like uh, it's like Gandhi said, you know, be the future you want to have. Mm, be the future you want to have. That, that's a wonderful closing remark for this episode. <laughs> that's awesome. So for anyone out there who wants to work with you, for example, to get some economic um, advice or to know how he or she could, you know, help in making this planet a better place to live or to ensure that the planet is revitalized, revitalized um, how can they reach out to you? You know, I have, I'm going to place your website in the show notes already, but are there other means to reach out to you in order to work with you? Yeah, I mean, checking out the websites is the best first thing, so you can understand exactly uh, what uh, what I can offer. Uh, but if somebody wants to uh, email me, I'm at storm at reconomics.org. I was going through your website already, and I was saying like you you have a lot of you know keynotes that you've done already. You've traveled around the world, worked with the U.S. State Department for sustainability training for public leaders of dozens of countries and a lot of awesome work you've done in the sustainability um, department and, you know, um, revitalization. And I, I really um, find it awesome. And I thank you for everything you're doing for, for this planet. It's awesome. Thank you so much for being thank a part of Thank you for your thank you. Wow. You made it to the very end of this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I'm grateful for your time, your love, and your contributions. Subscribe, like, review, and share this podcast. God bless you. Bye.